0: How many, I'm, I'm curious, how many of you in here were raised in the 1980s, went to like high school in the 1980s? Not really, man, I'm getting older than I thought. Wow, did you know the 1980s are all the rage now? Like, Brian, did you know that? 1980s are everything now. Like there's a show on called Stranger Things, it's on Netflix, four seasons of it, it's all the 80s, 1980s. And then now with Maverick and the popularity of that movie, people are going back to watch Top Gun, and man, it's everything's the 80s. Well, I was raised in the 80s. I graduated in 1984 from high school, and um, I hate to tell you they weren't as great as you think they are. (laughs) Mullets were big in the 80s. Fanny packs came out in the 80s. Remember M.C. Hammer's parachute pants? 80s. That's 80s. Remember the Miami Vice pastel (laughs) t-shirt? That was 1980s. And of course, acid-washed jeans. Not good. Not a good look. But there's something even worse in the 1980s. I watched a lot of TV and they'd have these these kind of advertisements as seen on TV. See if you can tell me what some of them are. Do you remember Lifeline Medical Alarm Company? What did they sell? I've fallen, and I can't get up. That's 1980s. Drives you crazy. Remember the clapper? Clap on, clap off. 1980s. Ginsu knife. Ginsu knives can cut onions so fast there's no time to cry. In Japan, the foot can split wood but it can't split a watermelon by your Ginsu knife today. We bought one of those, we couldn't slice through butter. It's a lie. <laughs> Complete lie. Or did you ever hear the Flow B hair haircutting machine? It'd suck your hair up and then cut it like that. My dad thought it'd be a great deal. He bought me a Flow B hair haircutting machine, and I, it got done, and I looked like that kid from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Did you ever see that? Where half of it is burn off, like, Dad, what did you do to me? Terrible. Remember Chia Pets? That was 1980s. A, pea, a clay pig with weeds coming out. Like, what is that? But the worst of all, bar none, see if you guys remember this. Do you ever remember sea monkeys? Do you ever hear of sea monkeys? You get this little aquarium, they give you two packs, you pour in these seeds and then the food, and the, they're supposed to be like swimming monkeys. And then when they come alive, they look like millipedes swimming in the water. And my sister's like, what is this? So we poured it down the toilet, went to New York City, and Chud appeared. Cannibalistic, humanoid, underground (laughs) dwelling. That's the 1980s. 1980s was a weird time, really weird. And from the 80s, especially from the as seen on TV, I learned what that meant. How gullible are you, really? I suckered you in to some more money. I went to uh, marketing, I got a marketing degree, and uh, it was an advertising class. Am I a little loud? Am I echoing a lot? Could you take the echo down a bit? I think I'm echoing a little bit, because I'm going to yell in this one. <laughs> and so I don't, don't want to split, you know, the. Yeah. Anyhow. And when I went to advertising class, I learned that over the years, most of advertising on TV is what I would call calculated lying. If I can lie the right way, I can take your money and run with it, all that it's worth. And so I began to wonder, is there anybody true anymore? Is there anything or anyone that can back up what they're selling? Is there Anything that is the genuine article, the real McCoy, well, ever since the 80s, I've been on search for the real, and and I found it, and it's a man named Jesus. He is as advertised. So if you can open up to Matthew chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 17 to 32. Matthew 21, 17 to 32. The title of this is, As Advertised. If you remember, yes, last week we talked about the triumphal entry when Jesus came in, riding on a colt, Hosanna, they shouted in the highest. And now he went to Bethany, where he is with uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and this is where we pick up in verse 17. Of Matthew 21. It says, And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked, and who gave you this authority? So that's where I want to end. We'll go into it a little bit more, but let's kind of look at the context. We're talking about a fig tree. What does a fig tree mean? have to do with anything. So Jesus comes to the big city of Jerusalem. It's his next day. It's going to be seven days before he makes it to Jerusalem. He comes into Jerusalem the next day and on the way he's hungry. He's hungry. He has physical needs. He's hungry. And so as he's walking he sees this fig tree. and its early season and according to what I've read fig trees at this time would bear fruit, early fruit, and then they would have leaves. But he goes to the fig tree and it only has leaves. There's no fruit. So he's disappointed. He's upset. And so what he does then is he curses the fig tree, it withers and dies. So the question is, what is going on? Why would he do that? In fact, this is the only miracle that resulted in death not life. Every other miracle Jesus did up to this time either gave sight to the blind, the lame could walk, the deaf could hear, and the dead rose up. But here's a tree that withered. What is he doing? Did he just have a bad day? Was Jesus hangry? Have you ever had somebody who's angry? They come in and they're raging. Was Jesus just mad because he's hungry? Maybe. Or was he telling us something? Well, to any religious leader who understood the Old Testament, it's very obvious what's going on. I want you to go to the book of Micah. It's in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. To find Micah, it's really easy. It's right before you get to Habakkuk. So, (laughs) Micah chapter 7. You guys laughed more than the first service. I'm really proud of you. So Micah chapter 7, 1 through 4. So if you notice in the book of Micah, it's a prophecy against Israel. In chapter 6, he's got a case that he wants to bring before them. He's upset. In the middle of chapter 6, it says Israel's guilty, and God's going to condemn them. He's going to bring punishment on them. And in chapter 7, he's going to continue this line of thought where Israel has sinned, God is going to curse them, and listen to what he says. Verse 1. What misery is mine, I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. So he says, I'm miserable. God's upset because he, he went to go gather fruit and there was none to be had. No early figs, exactly what happened in Matthew. Keep reading. The godly have been swept from the land. No one upright, not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled in doing evil The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. Sounds a lot like our government, if you ask me. Verse 4, the best of them is like a briar. A briar is a thorn bush. No fruit. The most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman has come, the day... God visits you. Last week we said when Jesus came into the city, he said, you didn't even know on this day that I came. And the day God visited them, the next day he comes, sees the fig tree, and curses it. Because he came to visit, and they had no fruit. Go back to Matthew. If you go back to Matthew... A little bit after this story, if you look in verse 33, he's going to tell this parable of the tenants where they're setting up this vineyard. And they put a guy over charge of it, a steward, and you get to verse 34 of Matthew 21. When harvest time approached, the owner of the vineyard sent his servants to the tenants to collect fruit. Then you go to verse... uh, 39, there was no fruit. The tenants were, they kicked out the son who went to get the fruit. And so, verse 39, so they took him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he will rent his vineyard to other tenants. Why? Because, verse 33, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So it's clear the fig tree is a metaphor for people who show righteousness, show that they're godly, but have no fruit. None. So he could say it like this. It was all about he's directly talking about nation Israel and their leaders but it's really more than anything about religious people and their hypocrisy. God isn't looking for a guy who wears a suit. You now I used to have a cousin. His name's Barker. He lived down south in Louisiana. And he'd, he'd be all, I had eight cousins in that family they would drive up from Louisiana to come see us in Ohio. And they'd be they'd be flying a rebel flag. Back in the day, it was okay. They'd be flying a rebel flag. And he was talking about Southern charm. He'd always tell me about Southern charm. And he goes, Chris, I got to tell you something. Doesn't matter if you win or lose. Doesn't matter how smart you are. It's all about how you look. So I wore my suit because this sermon's not that good. So you'll be impressed. No, the point is exactly what's being here. Who cares if you have leaves? Do you have any fruit? So the parable's simple. He goes, the leaves are out. It's kind of like Timothy says in the last days, there's going to be a lot of people that have a form of godliness. They say the right words. They come to church looking good. But they don't have any figs. No power. So what is fruit with regards to Jesus' metaphor? It's the life of God in you. Is the life of God really coursing through your veins? When people come up to you, do they taste? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, or are you all advertisement show? And so that's really the whole point of this parable of the fig. Somebody actually asked me a pretty interesting question this week, and they they asked me, they said, um, "You know, how does how does it work at church?" So you. You work at a small church for a while, then you go to a bigger church. And are you looking to go do a bigger church and then do a bigger church? You know, you get to a mega church. If you make it to a mega church, you've really arrived. And I said, well, first of all, I'm not that good. You know, I said, I really am not. Secondly, I love the people here. But thirdly, church is not about advertising. It's not about having more seats or a better marketing campaign where all the bulletins are on glossy paper. And your slides match your, what's online. It's really about having people with a life of God in them. Are you alive? Or are you just advertising? So, what does it mean to be alive? How do you gain life? Well, it's pretty obvious there's somebody in here who's alive. His name is Jesus. And I want you to go to the book of John. Chapter 15. And I think this is the whole key to Christianity. Begins in verse 1. Jesus begins in John 15.1 and he says, I am the true vine. Israel was supposed to be God's vineyard, Israel's supposed to be God's fig, Jesus comes in and says, I'm the fulfillment of every, everything Israel was twa- trying to be. I'm the life of God in the flesh. I'm the true life and the true vine. And my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes you can do nothing. So it's a very simple metaphor. Jesus is the life of God. And the only way I can have the life of God is I need to be attached to him. It's the only way. And so if we go back to the Matthew passage, you'll see that there's something different about Jesus. So in verse um, 19, seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he spoke to it. You're never going to bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. Wow, he's got power. And in verse 20, he talks about prayer. Verse 21, I tell you the truth. If you have faith, that means connection to the vine. If you have faith and connection to the vine, and you don't doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So he's saying, if you have faith, that same life that was expressed in Jesus withering the tree can be in your life too. And the Pharisees got it. Verse 23, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he's teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him, and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? And they asked, who gave you this authority? And not only did Jesus have authority, but this authority wasn't just him claiming things, but he was doing things that no one else could do. Authority in the Greek basically means the power, the right, the privilege to act on behalf of God or for God. He had that authority. So they they recognized it. And before he answers their question, I just want to stop and talk about how do you get that same authority? How do you have that same life? It's really clear from this passage. The first is his words is where the authority come from. He speaks, the tree withers. And his word at that time was spoken. Now it's written. We are given this so we can, by faith, be connected to the source. The Word of God gives us that source. So you go to Romans. Romans says faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of God. His Word, to me, still works the same way it did when Jesus spoke. Faith attaches me to the life of God, and through hearing the Word of God and obeying the Word of God, it starts working in my life, and it becomes evident and obvious. Let me show you. I'll prove it. Go to 2 Peter. This is one of the most mysterious and wonderful passages of Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter's after the book of Habakkuk. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1. I didn't tell them that joke because I know they wouldn't have laughed. But we got Julie, she's the natural laugh track. All right, right, Second Peter chapter 1. Sorry to embarrass you, Julie. All right, look at verse 3 of Second Peter 1. His divine power, who is his? It's referring back to Jesus our Lord. His divine power, his authority, his life, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. So he's basically saying, in verse 3, getting to that divine power is through his knowing him. How do I know him? Verse 4. Through these he has given us his great and precious promises. That means his word, the word of God. As I respond to the word of God, his promises, I allow the life, his power, to work through me. That's why it says... Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil human desires. So when I take the word of God in and I respond, his life courses in me so much that for some way, I don't understand it, I'm participating with God in his transformation, sanctification in my life, where I am changed. I escape corruption. I become more like him. And it's through his word and faith in his word. I'd say it like this. I think today we live in a world that is, as James would say, we're tossed to and fro by the culture. Whatever they say. Whoa, the next expert said this. It's like we're on the high seas. So imagine being on a boat and you're just standing on a deck and a storm comes in and the storms are coming in. Is marriage really between a man and a woman? Whoosh! And then you go, a storm coming this way. Is genders, is there really more than male and female? And so if we're not attached to anything, man, we're so easily swayed. We have no footing. We have no authority. But if we lash ourselves to the boat, like sailors did when they would come upon a hurricane and take ropes and go to the mast and tie it around our waist, we're not being tossed anymore. It's like being anchored when you're in the word of God and you believe what God says. Even if the culture doesn't, I'm standing on it. So when he talks about marriage, says marriage is between a man and a woman, and then it talks about it's a covenant which actually affects my children, so the promises and the beauty of righteous living will be passed on to my children and then their children and then their children. So then when I see people who believe that and live like that as compared to people who just toss it aside and say, yeah, do whatever you want, check out their generations two or three years later or two or three generations later. Come into my office when somebody says, ah, I'm just going to ignore what God says. There's consequences. There's no power over here. But over here, there's power. It will show itself. It will be evident. And then the second thing Jesus talks about is praying in his name. It's effective. And I think prayer is how I attach to him. Look at what he says. Go back to Matthew. I tell you the truth. If you have faith and you do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, But also, you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, this is a, I want to take a sideline on here, because this is one of the hardest passages to interpret. Because if I just read it from a face value, it feels like I can be a superhero on Marvel, Universe. I can do whatever I want. If I just believe enough, I can get rid of a mountain. We disappear. I can go up to every tree in an orchard and say, curse you! And it will <laughs> wither. And we know that's not true. That's metaphorical. It's talking about any massive problem in your way through prayer, through combined effort, God will move it. But I want to go even deeper because I want to talk about prayer comprehensively because you just can't pull one passage out because there's other things the Word of God says about prayer. So one... one um, commentary says the faith he's talking about here is the kind of faith which receives answers to prayer and it's characterized by practical confidence in God's power. So it's believing that God exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's believing in his power. And then the second thing is that he's willing to respond. Or in other words, when you pray, it's along with his will. And that's what scripture shows us. So one of the scriptures, verse John 5, 13 John says we can have confidence that we'll receive anything if we pray according to his will. It's wanting what he wants, not what I want, which leads naturally to the book of James. James says the reason you're not receiving anything is you're praying for your own selfish pleasures instead of the glory of God. So that kind of puts parameters on my prayer life. I mean, think about it God is a person, he's not a force. Remember when I went to Moody, the very first class I had, the teacher said this for 15 minutes and it's never left me. He kept saying, God is a person. God is a person. God is a person. And what he's trying to get me to see, and what I'm trying to get you to see, is when we talk to God, he's our Father. He's a person that has a will and has desires and wants your best. It's kind of like going to your dad. Let's say my son at 12 years old went to me and came up to me and said, Hey, Dad, you know what I really want? What's that, son? You can ask me anything. I want a 12-pack of beer. Could you get me a 12-pack of beer? Sure, son. Ask anything and I'll give it to you. You'd say, What is wrong with that, dad? Exactly. That's the point of James. Prayer is also parametered by Psalm sixty six sixteen 16, that if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. He actually will not hear if I'm living in complete, obvious disobedience. Why would He listen to me? It's funny, in the book of Malachi, these guys are leaving their wives so they can have another woman, the nation they took over, and they're praying before God with tears, and He's not answering them, and He said, because I'm acting as... The witness between the wife of your youth, you left her, why should I answer your prayers when you're just blatantly sinning? It's crazy. And then the fourth thing to know about Matthew 21 here is in the context of Matthew 21, if you look at verse 20, when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. Jesus answered them, if you have faith, and in the Greek it's plural, if y'all have faith, So in the context of the community, when you pray and you agree, God does amazing things. He does amazing things. I'll be honest with you, the past two years, we have a group that meets on Tuesday nights, Tuesday Night Live. We pray for an hour. We started it when really the riots started happening. We wanted protection for our country and we got a good, strong core group that comes. Probably about 30 people have been coming every Tuesday night to pray, right out there in a the foyer, sometimes outside. And we started really just praying for COVID to end, and the, you know, basically the protection of our country. And in those two years, every Tuesday night, we have come before God as a group, as a community, to very specific prayers, and He's answered in ways you would not believe. He answers prayer when we're united together according to his will for his glory. And we can be confident about that. Can we move mountains if we think God wants us to? Let's move that mountain out there tonight. So there's something very interesting what happens here. So if we keep reading, let's go back to this text. So the Pharisees in verse 23 are questioning him. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? They're asking him, what right, Jesus, do you have to do all these things, to say all these things, and actually to claim your right? I think a lot of people question the authority we have. What right do we have to say a man and a woman is what makes marriage? What's the right? And I would say Jesus gives two two groups that testify to what is true fruit or who is as the authority. So keep reading. So the Pharisees are like, who gave you this authority? They're mad at him. Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you what authority I'm doing these things. But he did. He basically said, my authority is both from heaven, and it's also from what I would say God's people who affirm it. So how do you know you have life? I would say God will testify in your heart that you're truly his. It's an inward confirmation. God will testify to it. You will know that you know through the action of the Holy Spirit. But I'd say also through the people who are part of God's people. They're allowed to test fruit. You will know them by your fruit. It's interesting when you watch the testimony of a group of godly people, it just shows itself. Let me try to illustrate what I'm trying to say. So in the book of... The Lion, of Witch, in a Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis wrote this book. It's a story about four kids. They're playing hide-and-go-seek. They go through a, one girl, Lucy, the youngest, goes through a wardrobe which is a closet to hide. While she's hiding, she goes all the way through and there's another land on the other side of the closet. It has snow and all kind of weird animals, talking animals, and she comes back and she opens the wardrobe There's her brothers and sisters. She says, you guys, you won't believe what's on the other side. It's a whole other world. And her older brothers and sisters are like, you're crazy. You're crazy. You have a crazy imagination. Well, the next day they play hide and go seek again. And her brother, Edmund, who's young too, goes through the same thing with her and he sees the land. And Edmund and Lucy both come back through and they tell their older brother and sister, Peter and Susan, Lucy said, see, Edmund was with me. And then Peter and Susan go, Edmund, was there really a land over there? And Edmund goes, I don't know what she's talking about. She's a liar. So Peter and Susan are pretty upset because they're like, Lucy really believes it, Edmund didn't see it. So there's a professor there. They said, what do you think? And he says, who lies more, Edmund or Lucy? In your your experience, over time, who tells the truth and who lies? And they said, well... Lucy tells the truth, Peter lies, but you can't tell me there's really a place called Narnia. And the professor says, why not? If she has consistently shown that she's telling the truth, why don't you believe her? And the point is this. You can talk to people, and it seems like when you talk to Christians, even though they think maybe crazy things, like a man and a woman is a couple, where there's a place called heaven, where salvation is by faith alone, compare their lives and the fruit of their lives to people that think, all oh, of that's a joke. Is there any difference? Who would you want to get advice from? People who are faithful to their spouses? People who aren't addicted and aren't coming home smash? Or, or do you want people who have all these crazy addictions and I say, ah, who cares what God says? Tell me, who's doing all the picketing and rioting and walking around naked? Is it the Christians who are mad? Or people who think God's a joke? Who's bearing fruit? Or to really make it a lot easier for you, you're walking down an alley, 12 o'clock at night, it's New York City, the light in the middle of the alley just got knocked out, it's not light, and all of a sudden, out of a door comes four big guys and are walking towards you and you are alone, and you're walking closer. Would it help you to know they just got out of Bible study? <laughs> Make a massive difference. Because a person who really knows God has real fruit. Real fruit.
1: So what we've
0: learned is we've learned the fig tree is an illustration of hypocrisy. We've learned that the authority that Jesus has gives, can be transferred to us through the word of God and prayer and it's been confirmed by God and the witness of the real church. But then it gets personal and it starts in verse 28 and this is directed towards you. Jesus tells another story. What do you think there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went to work. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. The son answered, I will, sir and he did not go. Which of these two did what his father wanted? Well, the people who were listening said, well, of course, the first, they answered. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did What he's saying is he's saying you can choose which kind of brother you want to be. There's one brother who had the leaves out. They had this form of godliness. They were the Pharisees. They looked apart. The God said, go to my field. And they said, I will go. But they had no fruit. They had no work. They really didn't love people. They didn't serve. They didn't believe in Jesus. Jesus. But then you have this other group of people, they don't have any leaves. Nothing to show. No showy, no suit with a nice bow tie like me. They were the tax collectors and sinners. But they had fruit. They had figs. Why? Because look at the very end. Even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. They repented which means they changed their mind about the direction they were going. They realized their life was wrong and they believed in Jesus. So the question for me is, do you want fruit in your life? Or are you like the older brother? I went to church. I'm a Christian. Do you want to, um, I need help serving. Now forget it, man. I'm not going to die to myself, but I'm a Christian. I'll go to work. Dad, I'll go there. And then you have the other people like, man, I messed up. My life is a mess. I don't even, I don't even know why God would want me. And I hear you. But he said, if you just believe in the name of the Son of God, you can have eternal life. You can. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you grew up. What matters is fruit. I was, uh, I often talk about them. I, did, you ever, did you ever meet somebody that really has fruit? Like you just know it. So when I went to my class at Moody, so if you want fruit, the answer is repent and believe. So when I went to class at Moody, I, uh, that guy who said, God is a person, I would watch this guy. When he would pray, he would open up class. His name was Dr. Thrasher. He would say, I want to pray before I start class. And he would go around the room and he'd go, Chris, how are you doing today? Say, I'm all right. He goes, no, how are you doing today? I feel like God wants me to pray for you. And sometimes we wouldn't start the class till a half hour later, until he's done praying. But when this guy prayed, it was like he was talking to a real person. It wasn't words. It was communication. And then after he got done praying, he would teach the Bible. But when he'd teach the Bible, like he would teach it, but it's like he'd throw out jewels. Like they were changing his life. Like this was in his, in his bones. Did you ever meet somebody like that? Where when you come across them, like, wow, that, that, person's, that person has authority. It's funny, after my dad really came to know the Lord, he would he would do the weirdest things. He would have Bible studies with the weirdest people. Like he would just go and get these guys. They didn't have much to show, but I remember there was a blind guy sitting in our living room, and I you know he couldn't see me. I walked in and go hey. He goes oh hey your dad asked me to come to his Bible study. Or then when my dad died, this one guy who got his hand cut off. My dad liked that guy. Went up to shake my son's hand and said I want to shake the hand of the grandsons of Don Weeks, even though he didn't have a hand, he's goofing around, but like, how do you know my dad? He goes, what do you mean, how do I know your dad? I'd go out to lunch with him every week. I never knew, met this guy in my life. What'd you do? I, he prayed for me, and we studied the Bible together. That's, I found that out after my dad died. My dad never showed leaves, just fruit. Have you ever met somebody like that? question is, do you want to be that kind of person? When, somebody, when you enter the room, somebody knows there's something different about you. Like, this is more than just a nice message. My question is, do you want to have life? Like, real life. That's what this is all about. Because what's sad is he cursed that fig tree. 35 years after this happened, Jerusalem got wrecked by the Romans. And a lot of those Jews never came to know the Lord, but the disciples did. Which brother are you?